I am so excited to welcome my friend Beatrice, and she's going to teach us. Oh, Beatrice and Josh. He's just giving me that. Beatrice. Okay, He's just Beatrice. Um, she's going to teach us how to work the fourth step, which is where the rubber meets the road, guys. So take lots of notes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Debbie. All right. Um, let me pray. I don't get up here very often, and when I do, I get nervous. So great time to pray. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we just come to you on another Tuesday night so grateful that we can just meet in a group setting where we know you just um, are so part of. Thank you for the newcomer who's here, Lord, and that they made it through those doors. And we just pray that you would teach us, Lord, show us. We really do long to grow. We long to um, draw closer to you, Lord, and we are looking for miracles, and we know you're in the business of miracles. So thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, good evening. I am a grateful believer in Jesus Christ. I'm in recovery for codependency. I'm also learning I'm an adult child of a dysfunctional family. My name is Beatrice. And tonight's topic is going to be the fourth step which says we made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Recovery, I found, has taught me a lot of terms that I didn't even know before I came in here. I don't know about you, but we do learn some new terminology. One of those is inventory. I had no idea when I came in here. What is an inventory? Um, and the definition of inventory is to take a complete count of items or goods, which when you think about it, we really do this in many areas of our lives. Some people do it at work, you know, when you're keeping track of supplies and making sure that you have the right things. We do it at home. One of the areas I do it at home a lot is in my kitchen. My, one of my main responsibilities at home is to feed my family. I'm, I'm the meal preparer, and so um, I've recently gone back to work part-time, actually, and I find that... Um, it was hard to keep up with what was in our fridge before I worked. And now that I'm working, I'm really having a hard time keeping up with what's in it. Do we have fresh things? And so um, I do get to take inventory of it because it's important. Have you ever gone into your fridge and you open it and it's full and you can't put anything in it? But then you're like, there's nothing to eat. <laughs> right? And so that can happen in my house often, unfortunately. Um, so when that happens, it's a great time for me to take an inventory because not everything in my fridge might be bad. I just, there's so much crowding it, I may not be able to get to what is, what I can eat, what I can use to prepare meals. And so the method I use to take inventory in my fridge is I take everything out because it's pretty deep you know, the length, my arm's pretty small, it's pretty deep, and there could be some good stuff in the back, there could be moldy stuff in the back. Um, so I take it all out, put it on my counter, and then my next task is to go through each item and figure out, is this still good, is it bad, do we keep it, do we throw it away? Um, I have to be honest, we do find a lot of smelly, moldy stuff in our fridge. Um, and don't raise your hand, but have you ever found a Tupperware that's so bad? 
that you don't want to open and you just grab the Tupperware and walk to the garbage can and you make sure that your spouse is not looking and then you drop it and walk away. Right? We've all had something like that, I think. The worst, it gets really bad if you're considering throwing away like a pan or a pot. That, that's, that's extreme. But so um, you, you can find some pretty, pretty awful things in our fridge, um, but it's totally worth doing because once I'm done, I can put, you know, the things got thrown away, my kitchen starts smelling a little better, my fridge smells a little better. I know what's in my fridge. We might even have leftovers that we can utilize. I know what I need to go replace. And the fridge goes back to meeting, um, to doing what it's meant to do, to be functional, to be useful for our family, right? Well, that cleaning process is really similar to what we do in our inventory. You know, if you think about it, we've been, um, since the day we were born, we've had to deal with life in life's terms. But many of us, that's been really difficult. Um, we have had to take things in. You know, when we're children, we don't even know um, how to cope with things. A lot of us, I mean, we were innocent. We didn't have a lot of skills. A lot of us grew up in addictions. A lot of us grew up with parents that were absent. Many of us had parents that were there, but we were still limited in many ways. And so, as we're coming to realize today, some of the things that we took in as children are now hindering us. They're in the way. Just like all that stuff was in the way as I was cleaning my fridge and trying to figure out, they're in the way. And that's, a lot of them is what brought us to recovery, right? Um, 1 Corinthians 13.11 says, When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, and when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. The problem is that, I don't know about you, but when I came into recovery, I didn't know my childish ways. I could point to everybody else's childish ways, right? I could see what they were doing, but it was really difficult for me to see what I was doing. And that's what this step is about. A moral inventory will consist of looking back at our whole lives. And just like when I cleaned out my fridge and now I know what's in there, we will no longer have to sit back and not know the truth about ourselves. It's no wonder that literally the step says we must be searching because some of the things that we're going to find have been there from long ago. And it's no wonder that we must be fearless because we will probably find some things that are not pleasant to us. The big book of AA says about the fourth step, next we launched out on a course of vigorous action. The first step of which is a personal house cleaning, which many of us had never attempted before. Though our decision, and this is speaking of the third step, was a vital and crucial step, it could have little permanent effect unless at once followed by a strenuous effort to face and to be rid of the things in ourselves which had been blocking us. Our liquor or drugs, 
or codependency or porn or anxiety or fear or whatever brought you through those doors was nothing but a symptom. So we had to get down to causes and conditions. As the big book of AA says, these things that are in us and that we don't even recognize are blocking us. But not only are they blocking us from gaining sobriety, from having serenity in our lives, but they're also blocking us from the blessings, from being able to receive the blessings of God. Jeremiah 5.25 says, Your wrongdoings have kept these away. Your sins have deprived you of good. I hope that you can see how important it is to do this step. It's, it's life-changing, and that's why you'll see people who have been in this journey encourage you. I sponsor some women, and often when they call me, I, it really almost doesn't matter what's going on in their lives. I really typically refer them, have you four-stepped it? It really is so eye-opening what you can discover when you do this. So tonight, the goal of tonight is that you would, you would have a way of doing this step. So the lesson tonight is how to do a four step. You've been learning some really great, there's been some great teaching on the four steps. And then last week we even had testimonies of people who said this really was life changing. And so today we get to actually explore a worksheet that will help you hopefully have one method. There's many methods. It's not, this is not the only method. If you were to go and Google how to do a four-step, you'll get lots of tools. And in fact, I would encourage you to do that. We really do encourage you to take ownership over your own recovery. We're not going to tell you how to do recovery here. We will give you some tools. And tonight, you're going to get one of our tools. This is a worksheet that is part of our curriculum. If you go through a step study, that worksheet is in one of the booklets. And so we use that. Um, but if you have another method, if you have a sponsor who's taught you another method and it works for you, I just want you to evaluate if it's a method that is helping you to be honest, thorough, and that you can complete, then use it. And to let tonight just be an encouragement to continue to use that. If you don't have a method or if you're just wanting to learn more, tonight we hope this will be a blessing. Before we jump in there, if you are new to recovery, I just want to welcome you again. Really, we gear so much of tonight for you because you really do matter. We've all been in that time where we stepped through those doors and we know how hard it was to do that. So welcome. Um, keep a mind open as we go through this. Remember, this is the fourth step. It's not the first, right? So usually by the time we get here, We've worked a couple of other steps that prepared us for this. And as you go through this, and as I go through this, if you find yourself overwhelmed, remember this is the fourth step. It's not the 12th. So as these things do come up, there will be future steps to help you deal with them. Okay? So the inventory worksheet is set up in five columns. They're up there. Each column will serve a purpose. The first column is always labeled the person. The second column is the cause of the event. The third column is the effect. Column four is the damage. And column five is my part. I'm going to take you through each one of them. The very first column 
You're going to list the name of the person or persons that have caused you some kind of hurt in your life, some kind of resentment, fear. Um, your, own, your inventory will have many people in it, many pages probably. Some of the examples of what you can write here are family members, friends, bosses, other people, institutions, places, God. As I go through this, I'm going to walk you through an example that I, for my own personal life, just to kind of give you an idea. Um, but honestly, this is like the easiest column. Like, who do you, who are you, who, like, you know, you get that little gut feeling when you see somebody and you're like, hmm, write them down. <laughs> or the people that you don't want to think about. Or like if you're walking and you kind of go around to avoid them. That's the name that should go up there. It's easy. I can fill pages of this. It's easy. For, so for my example, I'm going to write um, my dad. That's an easy one. My dad. Um, that's all you have to do. See? You're already one-fifth of the way. <laughs> the second column is the cause and the event. In this column, you're gonna list the specific action that somebody did to hurt you, anger you, or somehow cause you to resent, resent them. In this column, you're gonna have things like, he or she left me, they yelled at me, they showed up drunk, they embarrassed me, belittled me, they hurt my brother or my sister, they abused me, so on. Specifically, what did they do to you? At this time, it's gonna start getting a little more difficult because now you're really gonna start getting closer to maybe some of the pain, right, as you write it down. Just, I wanna encourage you as you're moving through your inventory, remember that you're not alone. And here's a scripture, Isaiah 41.10. It says, fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. And that is from the word of God and it's true and if you talk to people that have come before you and have done this step, I hope that they will encourage you and say that God did uphold them. I know that's the only way I got through mine, that he really does uphold us during these times. So. Moving on to the column two for my example. So I'm gonna ask myself, okay, so what did my dad do? As you can imagine, there were a lot of things, right? But we're just taking one item at a time. So in this example, I'm gonna write down, um, I'll tell you a little bit about my story so that that makes sense. Uh, I was born in Mexico, um, and my mom died, I had four siblings, so there's a total of five of us. My dad was an alcoholic didn't have a lot of, he wasn't a very functional alcoholic, uh, and so he really couldn't hold a job very well. And then my dad decided to get sober. And he was in his early years, of, his early months of sobriety, and my mom was diagnosed with cancer, and I was only three years old when all this happened. My mom died, and now my dad was left with five kids um, on his own in a very, hard situation in a very small town and he made a choice to come here to the States. There was an opportunity for him to come and work 
and provide for us over there. And he did that. And the reason I like to put this example and I like to use this one is because my dad was really not meaning to hurt me, right? He was actually doing the best he could, but nonetheless it hurt me. And I say that because as you go through this, you're going to find some examples that are pretty obvious, right? That are pretty hurtful that people did to you. And then you're, you're going to have these questionable things, well, but they didn't mean to or it shouldn't have hurt me. And so when you wrestle with that, I want to encourage you, this is not the time to figure out if it should have hurt you or if it shouldn't have hurt you, if they meant to. If it's, if, if it's a hurt you have, it's a hurt you have. It's already there. And it's causing you pain in your life. So write it down. Don't worry about if it should have or shouldn't have, but write it in there. So for me, what I wrote was... What did I write? It says it up there. He left us very young in my country of birth to come to the US and work. So that's it. I'm just gonna write that one thing. Again, there may be many things, but for this entry, I'm only gonna write that one. The third column, in this column, we are called to start doing the hard work of looking inward. How did that event affect me? And one of the things that I've learned through time is that if I kind of have a hard time figuring out how did that affect me, especially when we're that little, like, I don't know. This is a great time to ask ourselves to take out that little feeling sheet. There's a feeling sheet. Um, and the reason why, if you think about when we're little, a lot of us don't have a, a lot of, like, we don't have a saying in what's happening in our lives. I have kids, so if I tell my kids, you're going to go to CR with me, guess what they're doing? They're going to CR with me, right? If I say, go to your room, they're going to the room. When we're little, many of us, we didn't have a choice in what happened in life. So, a lot, because we had these authority figures that were older and bigger and stronger, so a lot of what happened and how it affected us started with how we felt about things. So my kids will go to CR, but they, they, I can't control how they feel. They might still, they internally, they'll develop these feelings about what they're being made to do. And so this is a great column to start exploring what were some of those feelings that developed. Um, in this column, you might have things like, I felt lonely, sad, angry, ashamed. This is, if you're having a hard time figuring out, I don't know. Some of us, some of us don't feel anything. Some of us did a great job at going, that's too much feeling, I'm gonna just stop feeling. If you find yourself in that situation, maybe ask yourself, what would another person that was going through that, what might be reasonable for them to feel? Or talk to your sponsor, your accountability partners, and see if they can help you identify some of that. So the other thing that I want to encourage you is as you're working through your inventory, especially as you move into the feelings, into the damage, two things that I, I really encourage you to do is one, journal. It'll really help you. And if you're not somebody who journals, oh, you're, you're in for a treat. We love journaling and recovery. And I think you'll be blessed by it. You'll be so blessed. You'll, you'll find things about yourself that you never knew. So journal and, of course, pray. Because really, ultimately, 
God is the one, it was, it was said here earlier, God's brought you here and he's got a plan laid out for you. So just pray, he will help you through it. I had to journal because I was so out of touch with my feelings. I am a feeler, I will say, but I, my feelings are so intense that I can't even identify them. My poor husband, he's, he gets to see the feelings that are like this. And then that's when he says, why don't you call somebody? <laughs> don't you just love that when a friend or a spouse or somebody else tells you, why don't you call your sponsor? <laughs> but, but they're right. They're usually, he's usually right. I should call my sponsor. So, but, so I'm going to read real quickly uh, my journal entry that I had to do as I was working through these, these first entries, okay? Disclosure. My example is going to look really in-depth, and I typed it out, and it looks real pretty, and it makes it look like, wow, she knows what she's doing. I don't. I don't know what I'm doing most of the time, um, but I did a lot of journaling, and that was a lot of years of developing. So let me give you my journal entry when I was just working through that. Um, I wrote down, I can't believe that my dad, he left us when I was that little. What kind of parent leaves his little three-year-old girl a year after her mom died? Does he not realize how much I needed him? Didn't he even care? If he had not left me, I probably wouldn't have even been abused. Maybe I wouldn't have always felt so abandoned, like a little orphan walking around. All the other girls had their parents with them, but not me. I was always alone and poor and dirty, and nobody wanted me. I was unlovable. That's why I started falling for jerks who treated me horribly. That's why I ended up having sex with the guys I did. I hated myself, and now my life is a mess. Now, I can tell you that today I feel very different about a lot of that stuff, but it needed to come out because it was in there. And so after that journaling, I found that there were definitely some feelings I had. I felt like an orphan. I felt fearful. I felt unprotected. These first three columns are intended to be tools for you to get to the next two columns, which is really where the healing is going to happen. As you move forward in the worksheet, it's so crucial that you not get stuck in those first three columns. In fact, when you're thinking of the damage and the part, don't even associate it with the person and with what they did. The scripture that goes, remember, the scripture that goes with this step is Lamentations 3.40, and it says, let us examine our ways and test them, and let us return to the Lord. It doesn't say let us examine their ways. This is about you. And the people that I've honestly seen struggle in this step and pass this step is because it was really difficult and they couldn't get past those first three columns. But I urge you to consider that for many of us, whether consciously or unconsciously, it was living in those first three columns and feeling the guilt and the shame and the pain over and over again that kept us in our addictions, that kept us relapsing, that kept us away from these rooms. And so 
as you think of the damage, please, please, you're gonna have to let go of the person. You're gonna have to let go. I don't, I'm not saying forgive them. That's step eight or nine. I'm just saying don't associate that with the next two columns. So that instead of doing that, then you can ask yourself, okay, as a result that I felt like an orphan, what are some of the damaging things that have developed in me as a person? Some of the things in this column might be mistrust of people. I thought no one cares for me. Believed that I was ugly and lovable. I believed that my feelings were not important, that I'm not worth anything. So for my example, right, going back to my example, I'm not going to think about my dad. I'm not going to think about what he did. At this point, I'm going to say, okay, so I felt like an orphan as a result of that. What, what did I start believing? What did I start carrying in me? Well, for me, I believed that I'm not worthy of having a dad. I started thinking I must not be lovable. I started believing that I must have done something wrong. Then I'm going to look at the next thing that I found inside of me, the next effect, which was um, I was fearful. As a result of being fearful, I started believing that I can't make a mistake or things are going to get worse, which is a really awful way of living, by the way, to think you can't make a mistake. Oh, my goodness. I make them all the time, but I, I still tell myself, no, that wasn't a mistake. Um, I started thinking that I must be strong to survive. And then I'm going to ask myself, okay, as a result of me feeling angry, what are some things that developed in me? As a result of feeling angry about my situation, I've lived believing that life is not fair. I'm the victim in this. It's not fair. And even more, I'm not going to depend on others. Beware of not just rushing through the process. Doing an inventory is not just to check off a box that says, okay, I've completed that worksheet. Doing the inventory takes time. In fact, when we do our step studies, it takes the longest, that step takes the longest amount of time to get through. And that's because we really want to allow the time for you to grieve some of these things. But more importantly, for God's light to go into some of these places. For many of us, going through this is going to be the first time in our whole lives that we will ever sit in moments of pain, frustration, loneliness, suffering, and not run. That's hard work. But I can tell you that it's doable. And there's people around, all around you that have been able to do that. Our old ways didn't work anymore. So we must move one foot in front of the other. And trust those people that have come before us. All right, so we are, just so you know, my paper did not print, so I don't know where I'm at in my lesson, but that's okay. But I can tell you that no matter how you've been hurt, no matter how lost you may feel, God does want to comfort you. And he wants to restore you. 
Ezekiel 34, 16 says, I will look for those that are lost. I'll bring back those that wander off, bandage those that are hurt, and heal those that are sick. The last column in your worksheet is the fifth column labeled my part. And this is really the goal. Because this is your inventory. So now this is where you really get to acknowledge some of the things. You really have been acknowledging some of the things that you carry, but these are the things that you've done, right? In recovery, we say hurt people hurt people. And so if you're hurting, guess what? You've probably hurt other people. In this column, you're going to have things like my spouse cheated on, I lied to my spouse, cheated on somebody, stole, disrespected, abused, overate, used alcohol to numb, etc., etc., etc. And if you're really doing a thorough inventory, this part will probably be the longest, or should be the longest column. Psalm 139. 23 tells us, examine me, O God, and know my mind. Test me and discover if there is any evil in me and guide me in the everlasting way. If you've been in an abusive relationship, this is especially a really important step for you because this is a time where you can find great freedom in this part of your inventory. You can see that you have no part in the abuse and you can write it down. That's big letters, no part in the abuse. Many of us who've been abused, especially as children, we carry the shame and the guilt. But hopefully through this process, you'll be able to release that and say, that was not my sin. That was not my shame, my guilt to carry. No part in that. But I want to encourage you after you do that, still go back and look at the damage because you are carrying some effects. You are carrying some damage and it's hurting you and it's hurting people. So continue to work through that last column after you've acknowledged that it's not your part. When filling this out, some of the things I wrote is, um, I asked myself as a result of me believing that I'm not worthy of having a dad like other kids are, what are things that I've done? Well, I looked to fill that void with men. I became obsessed with keeping a boyfriend around, whether they were a good guy or not. And because this inventory process is meant to be thorough and honest, we needed to, I needed to get to specifics, right? So I had to write down names of people. I lied to Caesar, who was my first husband. I controlled Joe. I snuck boyfriends into my home. I lied, disrespected my home. I wore makeup and wiped it off. I flirted with men, compromised my sexuality just to keep a guy around. The next thing that I wrote is, I must not be lovable. So I'm gonna ask myself, as a result of thinking I'm not lovable, what are the things I've done? For me, I put myself down. I called myself names. I tell myself, nobody loves me, and they never will. I sought out my value and approval from people and accomplishments. I, completed with a, I competed with a, a coworker of mine, her name was Sonia, just so I can come up on top of her and feel better about myself. 
I put on masks so others could, would approve of me. I was often very fake because I was afraid that people would reject me. And here, I was very specific. I had a boss, his name was Eddie, and I was always so worried that I just wouldn't make it, so I put on a fake front for him. So, who do you do an inventory sheet on? Everyone in your life. It's a long list. Present or past. The more thorough that you are, the greater the results will be. Some people find it helpful to start from when they were young till today. Some people will just do it with their close people first, their immediate family, and then work out. It doesn't matter. As long as you cover everybody you've ever done life with. It sounds awful, but it's really not. Once you get going, like, because you'll, you'll find patterns, and then you'll just, you know. Um, do it to the best of your ability today. If you can't remember some stuff, that's okay. It's a principle. You're learning a tool, and you'll get to reuse it as new memories come up, as new things come up. So just get what you can done today. Keep the process balanced. Take breaks. Build friendships and group. Reward yourself for the progress. Celebrate your work. We are celebrate recovery. So celebrate your work. Use Bible verses to replace those damaging beliefs. Find the truth. What does God say about all those things you believed? Make sure that whatever coping thing you choose, that it's healthy. Don't pick up an unhealthy addiction through this. So it's probably not a good idea to sit down with your inventory and a big bowl of ice cream or hot Cheetos or apple pie. Probably not a good idea. But maybe go for a walk with a friend. Reward yourself in things that are going to be healthy for you. And of more importance, remember that bringing these things out in the open and in the light is a benefit for you. God already knows everything. It's not going to surprise him, but only through bringing it out can we receive the light and the gift of forgiveness and healing that he has for us. I'm going to close with Isaiah 1.18. That really, really speaks to me to what this, this process is about. This is the Lord inviting us. Come, let's talk this over, says the Lord. No matter how deep the stain of your sins, I can take it out and make you as clean and fre as freshly fallen snow. Even if you are stained as red as crimson, I can make you as white as wool. Thank you for letting me share. And we are done for this part. If you're a newcomer, please come out the altar room. Second time guests, please come to the front and somebody will walk you to your room. And will you stand up and do the serenity prayer with us? Oh, focus question, okay. Focus question, sorry. What are your thoughts about working your fourth step? Make sure you focus on the question. Okay, let's do the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference, living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did the sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, 
trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will, so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen. Amen.